Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. At 7.30 p.m., I think this is actually the earliest I've ever recorded on a Friday night. It's because I don't have my babies. They're actually with Grandma, so tomorrow my husband and I can go finish up the last of the Christmas shopping that we have since Christmas is literally a week away. I hope everybody's excited for the holidays. It's super exciting. I'm ready for it to come and for it to be over. I'm ready to start 2022. I'm going to claim a... I feel like that's going to be a good year for me, you know? But in time will tell. So tonight, we are going to be switching it up a bit. We're not going to be talking about a murder. We're not going to be talking about an urban legend. We are going to be actually talking about a book that I spent two days researching and using all of my research from this book. Some might have heard of it, I don't know, like in other countries, if you've ever heard of it, I'm not sure. But it is called, um, A Child Called It. I just put Child Called It and I was like, that's not right. So, A Child Called It is a child abuse story but it does have a happy ending i promise not in this not in the first book but the second book it does it is by a man named david pesler it's either pesler or pesler i listened to it on auto um audible and they said pes the guy said pesler but i've always pronounced it pesler so i got a lot not literally 90 percent of my research is from the book that i took out of the book and I wrote it down or I just, you know, remembered it because I remember reading this in high school and I didn't really, it was a sad story, but it didn't really connect with me until I recently picked it back up when I got the books from Amazon and I really read them and I have all of David's books that he wrote. And then I also have Two of the books that one of his brothers, like younger brothers, wrote, but I went down through a rabbit hole. And people say, you know, he made that stuff up. I don't know. Maybe I'll do a podcast on his brother. I'm not sure. But this story is going to be hard to talk about. And A Child Called It and The Lost Boy, which is the sequel to the first one. They are both on the New York Times bestseller list. A Child Called It has sold over 869,000 copies. I sound like I said copies. I'm obviously listening to my husband too much play his art game, okay? They're, those are little dinosaurs, but I meant to say copies. And the second book, The Lost Boy, had racked up $275,000 or 275,000 in sales. And that's pretty insane. Um it's a good book, but it is a also a very very hard read. And I definitely had a hard time reading the book when I came into my 20s because I am a victim of I don't I won't say victim. I mean I I was a victim of child abuse by my mother and I'm also a rape survivor by my brother from my brother's dad. 
I do want to, I do have an episode where I talk about it, but I haven't released it yet because I cried a lot and it is painful, but I mean, it made me who I was. I'm a stronger person. And that's why I'm going to leave it at that. I might release it or I might re-record it and then release it. I'm not sure. I just didn't want to get like a lot of hate. But I do like doing survivor stories. And I've came very far from where I was, where I used to be. But in order for you to understand this story, I have to take you back to the beginning to where it all began. I was going to do two parts. Well, it's going to be, actually, it is going to be two parts, but I'm just going to have it in one episode because with Anchor, I can only record an hour segment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get as much as I can in this one, which is about an hour. And then I'm just going to, after I finish that, I'm going to record the second part and it's just going to be one big part because, oh man, it's a lot. If you don't want to hear about child abuse, I highly, highly recommend you skip this episode. I get it. I don't like talking about it, but sometimes I feel like it's needed to be talked about because there's so much that goes unseen or unknown and kids, spouses, they're abused every day and sometimes it's just swept under the rug and that's what happened a lot in this story and this story is going to infuriate you it still infuriates me and I've finished my research but let's begin and the first this one we are going to talk about from the ages when David was four up until he was 12 and like I said it is very horrific abuse, and it is heartbreaking. So, let's begin. This did happen in the 1960s and early 1970 into 1971 or 73. I forget. I didn't write the dates down. So, let's begin. <clears throat> David recalled his family... In the beginning as the Brady Bunch of the 1960s. Him and his two brothers. Oh, I'm not mentioning any of the siblings names in this. Only David and his parents. Him and his two brothers were blessed with perfect parents. And I say that in quotations because they're not perfect parents. They, <clears throat> the house was fulfilled with love and care. They lived in a modest two-bedroom house in what was considered in a good neighborhood in Daly City, or it's either Daly or Daly, but I don't want to say Daly. I think it's Daly City. The living room had, you know, a big, huge bay window where you could actually see the bright orange towers of the Golden, Great, Golden Gate Bridge and the beautiful skyline of San Francisco. They lived on Crestline Avenue, I believe, as well. David's father, his name was Stephen, and he supported the family as a fireman working in the heart of San Francisco. 
He stood about 5 feet 10 inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. He had broad shoulders and forearms that would make any muscle man proud. He had thick black eyebrows that matched his hair. And David always felt special when his father would call him Tiger. Now, that is all we really know about um, Stephen. There's not a lot. There's not a lot like about his family. There was just never anything. Now his mother, her name was Catherine Rova, and she was aver- She was an average sized woman, and appearance. David couldn't remember her hair or eye color, but he said she was a woman who glowed with love for her children, and her greatest asset was determination. She was a homemaker. So, a stay-at-home mom. She always had these great ideas, and she took all command of all family matters. So, she was the one in charge, and she would take, when their father worked, she would take them to, like, Chinatown and take them on, like, day trips to, like, certain places. And David did refer to these as, like, better times. She also was a neat freak. She had, everything was clean. She um, didn't leave no room untouched. When she finished feeding her kids, she would dust, disinfect, scorch, and sanitize everything and vacuum. So every room basically sparkled. But as her the boys got older, she did make sure they kept up their part and they had to make sure their rooms were kept clean. And she also believed that nothing was ever done halfway. You do it fully or, you know, don't, don't, don't even try to do it, right? She also was a gifted cook, especially when it came to exotic meals. And she would do these, like, if they visited Chinatown. And David said she'd come home, she'd put, like, Chinese music on, like, the record player. She would put Chinese lanterns. She'd dress in that Chinese dress. And the table was with these fancy China Chinese dish, like, um, plateware. I didn't want to say silverware because it, that didn't sound right. <clears throat> and she was the main, she was mainly the primary caregiver of the boys since Stephen's job required him to work 24-hour shifts so he would essentially be gone a lot and now you're probably wondering you know heaven this seems like a happy family why are you even podcasting about this that everything seems fine well i'm about to get into some of the horrific things that david had to go through as a child david said his relationship with his mom drastically change from discipline to abuse. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say abuse. It drastically changed from discipline to punishment that grew completely out of control. David said it got so bad that he didn't even have the strength to crawl away, even if it meant saving his life. Just let that sit in. He got caught in a lot of um, mischief, and mischievous things as long along with his brothers 
And he said even though, you know, his brothers did the same crime and he put it in quotations, he was always the one who was in trouble. At first, David would David was just put into a corner in his bedroom. At this time, he said he became very, very afraid of his mom. He never asked to come out, and he would always simply wait for one of his brothers to come in, and then he would say, hey, can you go ask mom if I can get out so I can, you know, play? This is when his mom's behavior changed radically. When David's dad was at work, she would just lie around in a bathrobe watching TV the entire day so she wasn't taking her children, you know, on them day trips or anything anymore. She only got up to use the bathroom to get a drink or heat up leftover food. When she yelled, David said her voice changed from that nurturing mother voice that he knew to the wicked witch. Soon David's mother's voice sent like chills down his spine after a while david could actually determine what kind of day he was going to have by the way she came out of her room if she came out of her room in like a nice dress and her face all made up and a smile it seemed to be like it was going to be a good day or an okay day but she eventually decided that the corner treatment was no longer affected for David. So he graduated to the mirror punishment. And you're probably wondering, you know, what is that? Well, she would smash his face up against the mirror, smearing his, his tear-streaked face on the slick reflective glass, and then ordered him to say, I'm a bad boy, I'm a bad boy, over and over and over again. He stood there repeating this, dreading the moments commercials came on because she would stomp down the hallway to make sure that he was still facing the mirror and everything, and she would just tell him how sickening he was. Now, David was the only one out of both of his brothers who went through this <clears throat> and he said and david said when his brothers came in they the room they would just shrug and they would continue to play david was actually very jealous at first but then he learned that you know they were just trying to save their own skins once she made all the boys search for something that she had lost the search started early in the morning and it lasted for hours. David was often sent to the garage to look for this thing. And then he said pretty much as time went on, he was the only one who was searching for her missing item. One day, David actually forgot what he was looking for. And he built up the courage to go ask his mom. You know, what am I supposed to be looking for? Without looking away from the TV as she lied on the couch, she smacked him in the face and said, You know what you're supposed to be looking for. David began to cry and blood rushed from his nose, so she rammed a piece of napkin up his nose that she snatched from her, like, um, coffee table or wherever it was. And then said, 
You know damn well what you're looking for, and now go find it. David dreamed of, you know, finding this lost thing, right? And he said, you know, he would imagine that he'd go up and he'd have the thing in his hand, and his mom, that he remembered, would be there greeting him with hugs and kisses. And David's fantasy also included living happily ever after. But he never found those things, and she never let him forget it. And she also never let him forget that he was an incompetent loser. Also, as a small child, David noticed that his mom was different from day and night. Going back to when she dressed nice, he said that she seemed to be more relaxed. David actually loved when his father was home. Because this meant no beatings, no mirror treatment, or searching for her missing things. David said his father essentially became his protector. And David followed his dad everywhere, okay? When he went out to the garage to work on a project, David was there. When he went to sit in his favorite chair and read the newspaper, David parked himself right by his feet because he knew that if he was there, nothing bad would happen. So after dinner, his father would wash and David would dry the dishes. David knew, like I said, if he stayed by his father, no harm would come to him. I actually lost my place. That's why I did a quick pause. <laughs> but one day, David received a dreadful shock. He, his father said goodbye to his brother, and then he knelt down to David's shoulders, and he grabbed him tightly. And he said, be a good boy. He then stood up and walked away, and for a short time, David said things actually calmed down between him and his mother. When his father returned home, David and his brothers, you know, they'd either play in their room or they'd play outside until about 3 p.m., and then when 3 p.m. 3 p.m. came, his mother would put cartoons on the TV, and at 3 p.m. for his parents were actually happy hour because his parents drank a lot, okay, and that's not even exaggerating. A lot. They they drank a lot. And as we go further into the story, you're gonna you're definitely gonna see that. His father covered the kitchen counter with tons of bottles of liquor, fancy glasses. They would cut up limes and lemons and put them in bowls next to cherries. David's parents, you know, seemed so happy as they held each other close. And David thought he could actually bury the bad times, but he was wrong. The bad times were only beginning. Flash forward to about a month or two. His father was at work, and here comes his mother, you know, yelling down the hall at his, him and his brothers. His brothers ran to hide from the mo- their mom, but he sat on the chair, let arms stretched out, thinking she was going to come pick him up or whatever, and he said the further she got, the more he tried to scoot his chair back until his head actually hit the wall. And he could tell that his mother was drunk. She was hammered, smashed, three sheets to the wind, however you want to put it. She was blazed. She was blazed. Her eyes were 
red and swollen, and her breath reeked of booze. She actually began hitting David, and David tried to protect himself from the blows, but she would just push his hands away so she can continue to hit. But he was able to, like, snake his left arm up to protect his face, and she ended up grabbing his arm, and she lost her balance. She, like, staggered back because she was obviously three sheets to the wind. And when she jerked, both her and David heard a loud pop. David said he felt intense pain in his arm and his shoulder. His mom, you know, instead of saying, oh my God, sweetie, are you okay? She simply walked away as nothing ever happened. Like that was, like that was normal to her. She then summoned to din- she then summoned David to dinner. David tried to like eat and he said he tried to reach for his milk and he was trying to tell like his mind like move my fingers but it just wasn't responding. He tried to get like his mom's attention but she just ignored him. Eventually he was excused from dinner and he was sent to bed but he was told to sleep on the top bunk which he said was weird because he always slept on the bottom bunk and he hadn't been sleeping long before his mother woke him up saying that he fell off the bed and she was concerned and she had to take him to the hospital. When she explained to the doctor what happened, he noticed that it wasn't just because of a simple fall, that there was basically something more sinister to the story, but nothing really came of it. He didn't do anything. And maybe it was just because it was in like the 1960s. I'm not sure. But when his dad was home, his mother told a more elaborate story saying like he fell off the bunk bed and she tried to catch him, but she couldn't. And that's when the popping came from the shoulder. And that's why he was like that. And, you know, David kept this accident a secret because he feared something worse would happen. David loved school because it meant no beatings. He could be a normal kid. But one day he came home in spring and his mother threw him into her room and said that he was being held back from first grade because he was a bad boy. His mother said that he was ashamed to the family and he needed to be severely punished. She decided that David was banned from watching TV forever. I couldn't imagine telling my kid, you can't watch TV forever. Like, what? And he had to go without dinner and accomplish whatever chores she dreamed up. No matter how bad they were, he had to do them. After another thrashing, David was actually sent to the garage, and he had to stand there until he was basically told he can go to bed. I don't know how old he was, but I, if I had to guess, you're what? Six, seven in first grade, and you're already going through this? I don't know if my husband was answering me or talking on the phone. Because <laughs> I just heard him say yeah, so I don't know. I know. (laughs) That summer, he was actually dropped off at his aunt's without notice. Nobody told him, like, why or anything. 
And he said, you know, he just really felt like an outcast to the family. David actually tried to run away from this aunt's house, but this aunt informed his mother that he tried to run away. He said the next 24-hour shift his father worked, he paid for his sin. I had to switch papers. He tried telling his mom that he just wanted to be with her, but she responded to him by kicking him, slapping him, and punching him. Every time he tried to speak, she would cut him off, and eventually she got tired. She ran into the bathroom, grabbed a bar of soap, and crammed it down his mouth. Now, I remember vaguely my parents one time when I was little. I still remember it. Like, I told my husband I would never put soap in my kids in the kids' mouth because I remember the taste because I swore and they made me they put it in my mouth and they made me hold it there for a couple minutes and I can still taste that to this day and it's the worst. And then his mom said that he was no longer to be he was no longer to speak unless he was spoken to. One day David came home from school and his mother said that she got a letter from the North Pole. And said that Santa wouldn't be delivering him presents because he was a bad boy. And Santa didn't wasn't going to bring him any gifts. She went on to say again that David was an embarrassment to the family. Christmas morning came and he only received gifts from relatives outside the immediate family. And two paint-by-number pictures where, you know, there's like a number two and they say color it blue. So stuff like that. Since David was actually still on punishment, he was made to change into his um, clothes, his work clothes, and perform his chores. His mother and father actually then began to argue about how his dad had bought him the paintings. His mother said to his father that she was in charge of disciplining the boy. So now she doesn't even call him David. She calls him and refers to him as the boy. The more his father argued, the more angrier and angrier, angrier she got, and he just eventually gave up. And David became more and more isolated. His mother became a den mother at one point, and she treated the other kids like kings compared to her own flesh and blood, which is mind-blowing because how can you be this um, piece-of-shit human to your own child, but when other kids come in, you treat them as kings or like God or like their royalty or something like that. I'll never understand that because let's like people say, who's your favorite kid? And I'm like, I don't have a favorite kid. Also, no one was talking to you. I was like, I don't have a favorite kid. I, I love my kids the same. I could never favor one more. I mean, that's just wrong. But I guess some people do. And kids, you know, would say that they wish their mother was like their mother and they wish they could live there. And David never answered them. And he said, you know, I wonder if they would still want to basically if they ever knew the truth of what he actually had to go through. But she didn't keep the den mother job long or not a job like she didn't keep it long. And this was great for David because he was like, yes, I can finally go over to another mother's house who's a dead mother. But when he came home to change, 
um, he wasn't allowed to go to the dead mother's house because of some reason that his mom made up and they were going to the car and she was like, I'm going to do all of this stuff to you. And he got really scared. He ran up crying to the dead mother and said that he couldn't attend the meeting because he was a bad boy. And she was like, oh, um, I hope to see you, you know, at the next meeting. They never saw that lady again. And David said that day he came home from school, his mom and him were the only ones in the house. And she, he could tell by the look on her face that she was out for blood. For what reason? We don't know. Once they got home, she told David to strip and stand by the stove. She told him that, you know, she'd often drive by the school, you know, just to check on her kids, I guess. And she said she saw him playing in the grass, which was forbidden by her and it wasn't allowed in her family. David said, you know, that wasn't me. I wasn't playing in the grass. You must be clearly mistaken. She responded to his comment by punching him in the face. She then turned on the stove, right, and told him to get on it. This bitch wanted to see her son burn alive because she read it in an article and she wanted to try it. And David's probably thinking like, what? I'm not getting on the stove. You're crazy. And when he didn't like get on the stove, she actually took his arm and like held it over the flames. Right. And he said like he could smell the hair burning from his arm that was being scorched, basically. And then he still, she still kept trying to push him to go on top of the stove. She then told him, you made my life a living hell. And that it was time for her to show him what hell is like. I'm sorry. How does your child make your life a hell? A living hell. You chose to have that child. So therefore, Catherine... You need to be a responsible parent and raise your child. He eventually got away from her grip and he fell on the floor. And she said to David, too bad your drunken father isn't here to save you. David then started to like buy time in order to save a lot, stay, stay alive. So he basically wouldn't burn on the stove, right? The more questions he asked the angrier she got and she then started to hit David more and more. At this point he realized like, okay, I can stall her down. I can buy the time. And the more he was doing this, he was beginning to realize, oh my gosh, I'm winning. I can beat this. I can beat her. And it worked because when his brothers came home, her face completely drained and it's like, she was like frozen in time. David, you know, picked up his clothes since he was naked and ran down to the basement and got dressed. David actually had beaten her in that moment. He stood in the damn garage and for the first time he actually knew he could survive. If he wanted to live, he needed to think ahead. 
David could never give in. That day, David vowed to himself that he would never, these are his words, give that bitch satisfaction of hearing him of hearing him beg her to stop beating him. Like I said, obviously, we talked about school and how it was the hope of escape. And things with his mother were, you know, touch and go or smash and dash. She would smash and David would dash. She made him wear the same smelly clothes all year. And it was just terrible because they smelled, they were dirty, they were holy. He said... His, like, shirt had more holes than Swiss cheese. And she said, David said she didn't even try to cover the bruises on his face, on his arms. She sent him to school just like that. His mother would brainwash him and have him make excuses for her, for her behavior. You know, like say, oh, you hit it on a door or you were playing with your brothers and they beat you up. Those excuses for one only go so long. And I don't know who would believe that because he was always sleepy. And, you know, David also wanted to protect his mother because I'm guessing that was his mom. And he felt, I guess, some type of love for her. And he's like, no, this isn't right. I'm not 100% sure, guys. I don't know. Sorry, I'm trying to find a babysitter for my kids, and she messaged me. <laughs> um, she would forget to feed him dinner. She'd forget to feed him breakfast. He would only receive, like, leftover cereal bits if he completed her chores in, like, the night before or in, like, a timely manner. David went to bed so many nights without food. I honestly... Don't know how he survived. I really don't. Well, I know how he survived, but uh, what he did to survive is insane. Uh, at night, he would actually dream of, like, these big, he said in the book, like, big colossal hamburgers with, like, all the fixings on it. And he said, but this only made him more hungrier. And then he started to actually steal food from other kids at school. He took, like, Twinkies and other desserts, but it wasn't long before, you know, the kids started to notice that their snacks and stuff were going missing. Students started to then hate David, and the principal, you know, informed his mother. The fight for food had actually became a cycle, and the principal's, principal's report led to more beatings and less food for David at home. Weekends, she didn't feed him at all. David then started stealing food from the first graders, but it didn't take long for the principal to know who it was. The dual punishments and the harsh attacks continued at home. At this point, David was no longer a part of the family, and he was referred to as the boy. He couldn't speak to the family, play with his brothers, or watch TV. He was always grounded, and he was only, you know, allowed to go to school. And after he came home from school, he had to complete the chores that she assigned him. Then when he was done, you know, he just went down into the basement and stood and basically waited to clear the family's dishes. 
he had became his mother's slave. His dad was his only hope, and you know, he did everything to try to sneak David some food, even if it was just a single piece of, like, bread. He tried everything in his power to get his mom drunk, to, like, see if she changed her mind. He made deals with her and promising her the world, but she would not budge. David said she was like a rock. And David said, if anything, her being drunk made things ten times worse. She became an evil monster. This is when his parents began to fight a lot, and the fights normally were always about David. And somehow he would get thrown into the middle of it. Sometimes his mom left and she'd squeal the tire, like screeching the tires, but she came back in an hour. But sometimes his dad, you know, would pack an overnight bag and he would just leave. And when that happened, his mom would yank David out of bed and smack him from one side of the kitchen to the other. And his mom eventually got pregnant with another child. His mother also blamed David for the fights that her and his father were having, saying that he was, the re- he was the reason that they had issues. When David was in the second grade, a teacher named Miss Moss actually became very interested in David. And, he, you know, she questioned him why he was sleepy all the time and about his bruises. And, of course, his mom told him what to say, and he lied. But she pried and she pried, and eventually she took it to the principal, who contacted his mother. David said it was like an atomic bomb went off in his house. David said when he got home, his mother informed him that some hippie teacher reported her for child abuse, which, you know, they had every right to because essentially, Catherine, you were abusing your fucking child. His mother you know, told him that he was, she was going to go into school tomorrow and she was going to settle it all. So she went into school with her newborn and she basically told everybody that David's lying. I don't beat him. He does this to himself because he's jealous because of his new brother and that David's not getting all the attention. I'm pretty sure David chooses to starve himself as well, huh? But she said that he just had an an overactive imagination and not to take anything he said serious and that they could basically call her any time that David reported one of these stories. Whenever he got home, you know, she told David about how she went in there and blamed it all on him. And she said, don't worry, they're basically... Basically saying, they're not going to believe anything you say because I blamed you. Saying that you just made all of this up in your head. That's not how that works. So, flash forward to the summer. The family actually took a trip to the Russian River. And, you know, while the boys were playing outside, his mother couldn't obviously let them have their fun. She had to be in the spotlight and ruin their fun. She called all of the children to come in the house and told David specifically that he was being too loud outside and he wasn't allowed to go to the super slide with his dad 
or his two brothers, and he was made to sit in a corner. David really hoped that they didn't go or something came up, but uh, they did end up going. So now David knew there was already going to be trouble. He knew it. And in the cabin, it was his mom, it was David, and it was the newborn baby. And I'm telling you, she was out for blood. She brought one of her son's soiled diapers out and put it in front of him and said, eat it. He thought, you know, no way. And he, when he didn't do it at first, she basically smacked him from side to side saying, eat it, eat it, eat it. David switched tactics and started to cry, but this only made it worse. She only stopped when her newborn started to cry and she sang him a lullaby. She was singing to him softly, like in the mother nurturing voice. And he prayed like, you know, maybe he won't go back to sleep. Because she had all boys. She didn't have any girls. But he went back to sleep and she came out with another full diaper. Right? And she said, now you're going to eat it. David said she had that same look in her eyes the day she wanted him to get on top of that stove and basically burn. It looked like she was possessed. And, you know, I think she, I'm pretty sure she had a demon in her. She was possessed. Because what mother does this to their child? She then grabbed him by his neck and pushed his face in it, rubbing the feces back and forth. And she suddenly stopped when she actually heard the other family, the other in the family returning. And she was like, oh, shit, they're back. She grabbed a washcloth and demanded that he clean the shit off of his face. And then she like cleared the brown stains on the counter and then stuffed a napkin up his nose. And he was forced to sit in the corner the rest of the evening. They never went back to the Russian River after that. I don't know why, they just never returned. School started in September, and, you know, when you're supposed to get new clothes for school and all this stuff, David didn't. He wore the same clothes, carried the same lunchbox, and his mother packed the same meal for him that she did for years. Two peanut butter sandwiches and limp carrot sticks. Since he was not a law, not a part of the family, he was not allowed to ride in the station wagon he actually had to run to school and his mother did this because she thought he wouldn't have time to steal from other kids then and he wasn't getting food kids at school were no better they were cruel and they called him david the food thief and pezler smelzer pezler smelzer david you know he hatched this plan of how he could get food he decided that if he ran to the grocery store and stole food, he would be able to eat. And he planned this for weeks. He got the times down. He said, nobody would notice that I'm gone because he'd do it on recess. That day came and he went to the store. He um, slipped, like, grabbed the first thing off the shelf and he slipped it down and he walked out. And he grabbed graham crackers. He placed them in the boys' bathroom And then when he got back, he told the teacher, you know, like, I have to go to the bathroom. And she excused him. But when he got into the bathroom, he um, noticed that the janitor actually had already taken out the trash. So that had failed. 
He eventually like went back, but he got caught. And the manager informed his mother. His father and his mother both knew why he was stealing food. Because she wasn't feeding him and his father never stuck up for him. He he ate out of trash cans at the family dinners after he was made to clear plates. But his mom thought, you know, he was getting food somewhere. So she cooked pork and then she kept it in the fridge and she let it spoil for two weeks. And she knew David couldn't resist it. So when he ate it, he got very sick and he had diarrhea for two weeks. And that was his mom's plan. So he used to, um, after that, he would wrap food in the paper towels and he said, I knew she wouldn't want to like get her fingers all dirty and he like picked away the cigarette butts, but she still thought he was getting food somewhere. So then she sprinkled the trash can in ammonia. The next thing he decided to do was he was going to rip off school, the school's lunches, like the frozen meals that they get in. And he did. He actually stole up like a pack of frozen hot dogs and he said he ate them and he almost choked. Because he ate them so fast. And then when he returned home, his mom played this new game with him where he was forced to throw up. And she, when he wouldn't throw up, she like rammed his fingers down her throat. And then he said, she was like, I'll stop if you agree to throw up. And like he was punched in the stomach. And his father was away. I think he said in his book he was like shopping. And... When he threw up in the toilet, she saw the frozen hot dogs, and she's like, yep, thought so. And he was waiting for her to, like, hit him or, like, attack him or something. And he was shocked when she didn't, but she actually came back with a bowl. And he made, she made him pick up the hot dog pieces so she could basically, essential, collect evidence for when he returned. And when she came home after night, you know, he was brought up and she said, So, Steven, you think the boy is done stealing food? And his father replied by, before I say that, David could tell by the look on his father's face that he was tired of hearing the boy this, the boy that, blah, 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 all that. She said, um, on all that. He responded to her saying, well, you know, if you just let the boy eat and she was like, "Okay, you want him to eat? This is going to get disgusting and I have noodles and I don't know if I'm going to finish them. She said, "Okay, you want him the boy to eat? Well, he can eat this. And she made him re-eat the hot dogs that he threw up and his fucking father let it happen. I'm sorry. What planet are y'all fucking on? And David said, you know, he hated his mother, but he hated his father more because he basically did nothing. You were supposed to be his protector. You've seen the stuff that he went through and you let him do this. His mother eventually came out of her room and said that he was no longer allowed to sleep in his bed. And he had to sleep under the kitchen table with um newspaper and that was his bed and his blanket so david said he got in and he was like a rat in a cage the throwing up routine became normal he wasn't allowed to use the bathroom and he thought if he 
His mom thought of a way to like soothe his hunger. This is going to really piss you off because it pisses me off. She took ammonia out of her, um, from under the kitchen sink. She put it on a tablespoon and told him only the speed of like light or whatever would save you. She took the ammonia, put it on the spoon, and she shoved it in his mouth. And, you know, at first he's like, that's it? Like, that's nothing. Well, he dropped to his knees. He thought his eyes were going to pop out. He was scratching the floor as hard as he could with his fingernails. And he said, like, he thought he was going to die. And um, she ended up, like, slapping his back. And he burped. She only did this one more time. And this was in front of his father. And he just stood there lifelessly as she did this to their child. He let that happen again. I'm sorry. If somebody gave one of my kids ammonia, I can fully say that I'm going to jail because you're dead. That, I mean, that's how I hope people would react. And this is why this is so frustrating because his dad let this stuff happen. You didn't stick up for your son and you allowed your wife and the mother of your son to continuously abuse your child. And you did nothing. David said he was not, he didn't have to do ammonia ever again, but he did actually have to swallow Clorox a few times, which that can't be any better. And then he said, you know, when he would go in the bathroom and check, he would see that his tongue had these red flaky scabs. Huh. Now we're going to jump to 1971. David just turned 11 and things between his mother between his mother and him were th- essentially the same. But one day something terrible happened. She stabbed him with a carving knife in front of her youngest son and her youngest son, I remember this vividly was like cuz the brother who wrote the other books recalls this as well. And he, she was like, oh, my God, you, he said, oh, my God, you killed it. And then said, David's going to die. And he started to sing, David's going to die. David's going to die. But she helped, like, when I guess when she did it, she realized, like, what she did. But she didn't feel the remorse. She did have some medical experience because she did always want to be a nurse, but that was before she met Stephen. And she, you know, wrapped up the bandage, wrapped up the wound, but like I said, no remorse. She then told him he still needs to complete the dinner dishes in like a time limit, but he said it took him like longer. When he went to tell his father that his mother had stabbed him, he simply replied, why? And David responded that if he didn't complete, yeah, if he didn't clean the dishes in time, she would kill him. And he just said, well, you better get back in there and do them. (laughs) I'm sorry. What? Your son, your 11-year-old son just said that his mother stabbed him in the stomach. And that's your response. You say, you better go in there and finish some dishes. Well, David said he must, his father must have sensed his confusion. And sorry, God, for saying this. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to use this quote. 
His father snapped at him, saying, Jesus H. Christ, does mother know you're in here talking to me? And David was like, what? And he's like, you know, she controlled his father as well. And then he like changed his tone and he said, you know what? Just go in there and do the dishes. And, you know, I won't even tell her that you were in here talking to me. No, you take your son out of that damn house because your wife stabbed your child. Okay. He's dead, by the way. So they're both dead, but I hope he's in hell. I already know she's in hell, but I hope he's in hell, too. David said, after, like, his father said that, all of his respect for his father was gone. Um, oh. I'm going to touch base on this a little bit, but I did put it in here. David said after he'd been stabbed, you know, his father's, his father spent less and less time at the house, which wasn't really surprising because he never helped his son because he let him go through all of that abuse that no child should ever go through. But, you know, something weird happened after David was stabbed. She, for some reason, I don't know why, let David, like, go outside and do, like, sparklers on the 4th of July with her brother, with his brothers. And David thought, you know, his mother was changing for the good. And he wondered if it was over and if he was back in the family fold. His mother even gave him water and, you know, some small bites of food. And even though he slept on the army cot, he thought, you know, maybe this is better than something. And he said he felt like like um a wounded animal being nursed back to health. And when he fell asleep, he was actually startled awake. And his mother was in the garage with him. And she had this wet washcloth over his, on his forehead. Not over or over, however you want to look at it. And she said that he was running a fever all night. And she just wanted to make sure he was okay, I guess. David did say that she did feel safe with her there because she was close by. But by the next morning, nothing had changed. She showed no sympathy and said he needed to begin his chores. And he said, you know, he didn't even ask for an aspirin. His father was at work. And David was going to go ask him, not ask him, ask her for help. And then, you know, to clean up the stab wound. But he was like, no, I don't need that bitch's help. He took care. He took care of that stab wound by himself. Let that sink in, guys. An 11-year-old pushed the pus out of his stab wound because he didn't want his mother to help him. He said, of course, you know, he was obviously terrified to do it. And he said he, like, hit his head on the wall or concrete that he almost made himself pass out. And he said to himself, you cry, you die. Now take care of that wound. Like I said, his father was barely home. But David felt that his father was still his protector for some reason. And it became a habit for his dad, after, especially after he was stabbed, to help David with the dishes. Um, they did small talk and his father always started it. And they wanted to make sure the coast was clear. 
And David, you know, would always feel like something, like a little boy, like when he was that little boy when he'd call him Tiger. But his father also would always tell him, don't worry, someday that you and I will both get out of this madhouse. And David, you know, would say to him that he would try harder on his chores, but his father smiled and then, you know, assured him that this wasn't his fault. On his on his father's days off, he didn't even stay home for more than 10 minutes to get in and out of the house. His, um, you know, he did what he had to and he got out. He was like, bye. On one occasion, his mom, or I'm going to say mother, mother actually held food from him for 10 consecutive days. I don't know how he survived without food for 10 days. I don't even know how long you can go without food. I thought it was seven, babe. Hold on, let me look it up real quick. Okay, so I looked it up. So it says that the body can survive for 8 to 21 days without food and water. Without food and water and up to two months if there's access to adequate water to an access to adequate water intake, which that's crazy. So yeah, by day six, she actually put um, a plate of food in front of him. And she told David that he had two minutes and no longer. And when he was just about to start eating, she snatched it, rudely saying, too late. David, you know, then also started to hit his brothers, saying, why doesn't she take turns on beating one of them up? And by, den t by day 10, with no food, she then did the same game where she did on day 6 where she put a little bit of food on there, the plate, and she played it and said, you know, you have two, mo two minutes to eat it. And David's like, all right, I need to be smart about this. So when she said, when she did that, he hurried up and swallowed the food. He didn't even chew it. And then his mother said, you eat like a pig. David bowed his head. And said to himself, fuck you, say what you want, I got the food. So it was a win for him. Good for David, right? Because that's awesome. Sometimes she made him clean the bathroom, but it wasn't like, oh, go clean the toilets and the bathtub. No. She would put ammonia and Clorox in a bucket, and she'd close the bathroom door and... She let him sit in there, and at first he didn't think it was bad until um, he saw, like, the gray mist and he couldn't breathe. And she said, you know, I got this in a newspaper article, and she wanted to try it out simply, you know, the normal. Within a few minutes, like I said, he couldn't breathe, and then she eventually let him out, and she ordered him to dump the bucket before it's you know, smelled up her house, God forbid. You almost killed your son, but God forbid if it stinks up your house. And guys, I'm actually going to stop right there because I only have a couple seconds left, but I'm about to jump right back into this recording and then I'm done with it. So, I'll be seeing you in like 10 minutes. Alright guys, I am back. After he... Went down to the basement. He um, coughed up blood for more than an hour. One day, the, his mother decided to fill up the tub 
with cold water and he thought it was weird because she didn't put hot in it and she ordered him to get naked and lay in it and when he wouldn't put her his head down she took her hand and pushed his head under the water and he said he saw bubbles just coming up and he was like oh my gosh she's she's gonna kill me and she eventually let go and she said you need to keep your head underwater like this or next time it's basically gonna be longer And she flipped the lights off, and she closed the door, and she left. His brothers came in. They shook their heads and left like they didn't acknowledge it. This was their new normal, not only to David, but to them. And, you know, sometimes his brothers would bring their friends over, and they'd ask what he do, and they would shake their heads, and they were like, I don't know. So that's sad. She then would actually, after made him, after she made him get out, she made him put on his clothes and he couldn't even dry and then he was forced to sit into the shade so he was shivering because he couldn't sit in the sun and days that his father were home he knew like the food must have been good because they were you know passing around the dishes he heard laughter but he said he never turned around to look to see what they were eating because he said he didn't what did he say he um he lived in a different world, and he didn't deserve a glance at the good life. And David, yes, you did. Your childhood was ripped away from you. He definitely deserved that. He he was not. He did not deserve that. And then I said, that poor baby, because this hurts my heart that he went through this for so long. And his father, like, I'm mad at his, I'm pissed at his mother. But I'm, I think part of me is, I'm even more pissed at his father because he, he let this happen to him, and it's it's terrible. It's inhumane. Flash forward to when David was in fourth grade. David actually had a substitute teacher, and she was there for approximately two weeks. The, and she passed out, like, ice cream things, and David said he didn't get one the first week, but he tried extra hard the second week, and he got ice cream. And she played like 45 records, I think I read on her MPH hits or whatever. I know it was 45 and it's some letters. <laughs> they didn't write that down. They, she knew like David had like a bad home life. And after everybody left, she said, you know, you're going to have to go home. And she played his favorite song and then he went home. But because of this lovely angel from above got the ball rolling because she you know was worried about the way david dressed and all the bruising she actually reported it to the nurse but we're gonna get back to that i just wanted you to put that little thought in your brain when david's father was home he actually wasn't allowed to speak to david David started to realize that his, what his father said about, you know, like them eventually getting out was a hoax. And, you know, David gave up on praying and he said that he just lived life one day at a time because he never knew when it was going to be his last. One day David went to school and he actually had to go and report to the nurse's office. And the nurse asked about the bruises because... A substitute teacher reported it and everything. And at first, you know, he told excuses that his mother brainwashed him to do. 
but as time grew, he actually got more comfortable with her and he started telling her more and more about his mother and what sick games that she played. And she would write everything down. Then his mother changed again. You know, she went to David and she said, like, he was in, he was somewhere. And she said that she was tired of living this way. By this time, she had another baby because for some fucking reason, the father kept getting her pregnant. After he knew how he, how she treated one of his sons, he kept still, and still, he still kept impregnating her. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, when his mother said this to him, he, you know, asked like her if it was really over and she said, give me one second guys. Um, she said, you know, it's really over sweetheart. And she just wanted him to forget about it all. And she said, you'll try to be a good boy, right? And he nodded. Yes. And she said, then I'll try to be a good mother. David was allowed to bath in warm water and put new clothes on that he received last year. He ate dinner with the family, but what David didn't know was this was actually all a game. The next day, a social worker actually had came over to the house. David said his mom and this lady probably talked for like about an hour. And then she wanted to talk to David. And then he realized that this is why his mom was nice to him the day before, bathed him, fed him, put him in clean clothes. So when this lady came over, nothing was wrong. He looked like a normal kid. And like I said, that's why she was being so nice. When the lady asked him how his mom treated him, he actually was very terrified. His mother then chimed in and said, go on, sweetheart. Tell her that I starve you and beat you like a dog. And his mother laughed, trying to make this lady laugh as well. I think his mom was actually enjoying that a little bit. Because what person would say that to a social worker? I don't know. David said it wasn't like that at all. That his mom actually treated him pretty well. And the social worker then said, so she never beats you. And David said, you know, sweet was beating off his forehead. He looked at his mom and she nodded and smiled like, go ahead, answer her. And he replied, only when I get punished and when I am a bad boy. His mother did not like that answer. And the lady looked at the mom and realized that she didn't like that. And she was basically infuriated by the way David had answered that question. She was like, well, you know, I just wanted to come, stop by, and say hello. And then she left. As soon as, David said, as soon as that social worker left, his mother chased him around the house, slammed the door, and said, you little shit. Ugh. His mother was pissed. But deep down, David said he knew that his mother was being nice for some other reason and just wasn't then wanting to love him. But things went back to normal. David became the slave again of the family. He, but he still slept with his dad. And his dad, you know, never knew this. But David said he was actually up a lot when his dad would change into his uniforms. And when he kissed him, 
goodbye on the forehead and his father would tell David, try to make her, try to make her happy and stay out of her way. First off, Stephen, I just want to know what, what alcohol, how, not even alcohol, what drugs were you on? How are you going to tell your son to try to make her happy and stay out of her way when you know your wife is purposely doing this? But, you know, David, even though he, like, had that hate for him, David did love his father so much. And he wanted him, he wanted to be with him forever because he never knew when he was going to see his father again. And that's a, that was a scary thought for David. Jumping to David being in fifth grade. He believed that there was no God. And he said, no God would leave me like this. And you know what? I've been there when I had my own struggles with my personal life. Um, my faith in God was very shaky. And I said, you know, when I look back at it now, I like I told my husband, he probably he told me not to think like this. I should have died as a baby for what I went through. And the order I got, I realized like everything that I went through, he's like, it made you who you are. It made you into this, like, I'm, 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 I'm a strong person. And, you know, now I look at it as that I'm, God put me through these, you know, battles because, um, I'm hit, I'm one of his toughest soldiers. And I believe that. And that's what kind of gets me through when I'm bad because I was, I'm not done. I'm. I was put here for a reason, right? And that's how I look at it. But David's soul became consumed in a black void. He had no hope or faith. They were just letters to David. David even, you know, ate out of the dog's dish. His mother fed the pets better than she fed him. He hated his mother the, hated his mother the most, and he wanted her to die. But he wanted her, wanted her to feel the magnitude of the pain and loneliness for all of these years. He also hated his father simply because he knew what David dealt with, and he did nothing at all, like we've stated. His mother even made David t say to himself that, I hate myself, I hate myself. David also was a target for bullies at school, so wherever his mom stop the bullies picked up his fifth grade teacher mr ziggler had no idea why he was actually a problem child until the nurse informed him of why he was why he acted and why he was the way he was like why he stole food why he was dressed like that and his teacher mr ziggler really tried to make him feel like a normal kid one day david um there was like this paper, there was like a competition for like a newspaper and David's actually got picked and won by a landslide. He had to send a letter. He was sent home with a letter to his mom and his teacher informed him that he wasn't in trouble. But she tore up this letter in front of David and informed and said that there's nothing you can do to impress me. You're nobody, and it. 
So she said, you're not David. You're not the boy. Now you're an it. I hate when people call their kids it. It pisses me off. You are non-existent. You are a bastard child. I hate you and I wish you were dead. Do you hear me? Dead. The word it actually stunned him. Like never before, she had stripped David from existence. David said the words weren't coming from the booze anymore. They were actually coming from the heart. He did his chores half-ass. He wouldn't, like, wipe the floor correctly. He said he wished that her or one of her royal subjects would slip and fall. He didn't clean the food off the plates either because he simply did not care. David was done. He actually became more rebellious because his mom, for some reason, one time took him to a grocery store. And he normally sat out in the car. But when they were in the grocery store, he was supposed to keep his head down and keep a hold of the cart. But in the grocery store, he's like, he walked in front of the store. Every time his brother said something, he would snap back at him. And he knew his mom wasn't going to want to make a scene. So she would probably say, like, David, get back here in, like, a nice tone. But he said when he got outside, he actually paid for it because he did that in public to her family. She also would refer to his father as worthless and a drunken loser. But you can't call the kettle black because you're a drunken loser, too, because you beat your son. You're no better. But one day, her attitude actually changed towards her husband. David said she piled everybody up into the car, and she shopped from store to store to find German songs, and she wanted to create a special mood for when he came home. She spent the whole afternoon preparing food and getting all dolled up, kind of like how times were before all of the bad happened. And he was expected to arrive home at 1 p.m., He actually arrived home three hours later and he came home at 4 p.m. And he was three sheets to the wind and he didn't come alone. He came with a buddy who was drunk as well because his father normally found solitude in a bar. David knew his father was drunk and he didn't even have like to speak to him to know that. His father finished packing and he mumbled something to David. It didn't say like what he mumbled. But when his dad opened the bedroom door, I guess to leave, the drunk friend actually crashed into him. And father shook his father shook his head and he said in a sad voice, I can't take it anymore. The whole thing. Your mother, this house, you. I just can't take it. I'm sorry, Stephen. What can't you take? Are you getting beat by your wife? Are you starving? I didn't think so. I'm pretty sure your son, who is probably 12 12 years old at this time. Oh, man, I lost my train of thought. Oh, is 12 year old at the time, and he didn't ask to go through any of this. And you're going to say, you can't take it. Let me tell you. Steven, we're all... We're going to picture, everybody picture Stephen in your mind, okay? 
And picture you looking at him and going, I'm sorry, you can't take it. Everything I just said, you say to him, do you get beaten by a dog? Do you have to sit down in the shade? Do you have to sleep under a table? I didn't think so. Before he closed the bedroom door, David could barely hear him mutter, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And then he left. You're going to leave on that shit, Stephen? With a piss poor excuse of, I'm sorry? Why are you sorry? Sorry that you couldn't stand up to your wife? Sorry that you let her beat the shit out of your son? What? What are you sorry for? No. You're sorry and you're running away because that's what you do. Thanksgiving was a flop. David's mother actually let him eat, actually let David eat with the family, but there was a lot of tension between his parents. Nobody spoke. His parents barely spoke. Before dinner was hardly over, they actually fought. His father did what he always did. He left. And David said his mom found his, not his, I'm sorry, her prized possession, and that was booze. So she just drank. By Christmas, they actually tried again to be, like, civil. But they were tired of doing the charade. They were tired of pretending. He said, like, when the his brothers were opening the gifts, they were, like, leave, like saying things to undercut one another. And a few days later, his mother packed his father's belongings into a box and took it to a dingy motel where his father was staying. His mother and his brothers went into the motel and David was forced to stay into the car. And he said he cursed his father's name over and over again because he was mad that he was running away from the family and he was not only mad about that, he was mad because he got away and David was the one who was still stuck with his mother. He still had to live with her and he gets to run away. The car ride, um, oh, sorry, before I'm jumping a little ahead. He eventually leaned down to the window and gave him like some information on a book report he had to do for school. And then she drove away. David said there was like sadness in his eyes, but I mean, you got away. But he comes back in the second book, so not sure why. Because you didn't do shit to help your son out the first time. On the way back, you know, his mother tried to lighten the mood. And she took her boys, excluding David from that, to McDonald's so she could cheer them up. And David sat in the car. And he knew nothing could stop her now. As they left McDonald's and they were driving out of the parking lot, she glanced back at David and said, You're all mine now. Too bad your father's not here to protect you. He knew she would kill him if not today, then tomorrow. He hoped she'd just get it over with and that it would be quick. He said when his brothers were gobbling down their hamburgers, he put his hands together, bowed his head, and he like said like a quick prayer in his head. I'm sorry, not in his head, with peace in his heart. And he whispered, and deliver me from evil. 
Amen. And guys, that one was shorter. I didn't have a lot, but only an hour or so. That is the story of a child called It. It's obviously sad. <laughs> Y'all know my frustration. Ugh. The Lost Boy, like I can give you an overview. His father comes back. And it's from like 12 to 14. And David does get out of the house. The school actually rescues him and he's placed into foster care and he bounces like from foster home to foster home. But his m mother is still kind of like has a hold on him. And he goes to juvie. He, it's a lot. We're going to cover it eventually. He ends up, his mom ends up like kicking him out of the house and um, his mother tells the, his father, See, Stephen, it decided to leave. I had nothing to do with it. And, like, I want you. I want you to know that I had nothing to do with it. And he made his choice. And he thought it was, like, a hoax. And he started to run. And he, like, went to this pizza shop. Not, like, pizza, like a bar thing. We're going to cover it. I don't want to go too much into it. Because, oh, man, this hurt my brain. But if you want to follow the Facebook page or join the Facebook group, you can join me at Just a Girl in True Crime. If you want to send me an email, it's just a girl on true crime. What else? Oh, Instagram at just a girl on true crime. I hope you enjoyed this brutal story that I took a lot of the information from this book. Oh, man. And I uploaded it on a Friday, so. Woo! Um, I'm going to upload Wednesday. And everything. I don't know what I'm gonna podcast about that way. Probably, maybe you know, we're gonna we're gonna podcast about Krampus. We're gonna talk about the evil Santa. Anyway, guys, remember to spread love, not hate. And I hope you join me Wednesday. And if whatever you have Christmas, um, I hope you guys have a good Christmas and a good. New Year's. I'm not saying I won't upload, but just in case I forget, because holidays are obviously crazy for me. But that's it. I'm actually going to go watch some true crime because, whew, sis needs a break. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>